You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Russell Westcott, an exceptional guest and real estate investor out of Alberta. Please help me to welcome our guest. How are you, Russ? Wow, exceptional guest. I, I feel I feel honored there, Adam. That uh, I get the I get the moniker of exceptional. So I, I better bring my A game today, shouldn't I? <laughs> You're really one of our exceptional guests with your portfolio, your knowledge, your network. You've been on online. You have your own podcast. Uh, many people around Canada following you. I like to hear about your uh, advice on how to start a business. So, of course, you're one of the best guests so far. Well, you know, uh, I, I'm actually very shy about talking about what I do. I actually am very... Um, I, I very quickly and pump the tires of a lot of the people that I work with and my clients and my coaching clients and people in my mastermind groups and things like that. I, I actually get more of a a passion and a thrill about seeing other people win than actually winning myself. And I, I maybe that's just the, the humble Saskatchewan boy in me and, and not coming out, but I just, I just love watching transformation stories. And, and to be, to be honest, I, 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 I think my story is quite boring. That's why I don't ever want to tell my story. And that's why I listen to other people's stories is because they're everybody I'm fascinated by people's stories and their transformation of what they've done in their 100%. life. So. 100%. But you you mentioned Saskatchewan. You moved a lot. Saskatchewan, Alberta, British Columbia now. So you, yeah. you moved a lot. Yeah. Well, primarily in uh, mostly just Western Canada. So I've been mm. born and raised in small town Saskatchewan. Like mm. um, if any of your listeners are following, if they do familiar, they're probably know where a little bit of my story. I grew up in um, a place called Guernsey, Guernsey, Saskatchewan, mm. town of 247 people. Wow. And if you didn't have a dog, you had nobody to play with. If you, <laughs> so, and uh, and it was right in the potash country, right in the heart of potash country within Saskatchewan. And um, you know, grew up in a mobile home, like trailer park type oh. thing. You know, we had we had the trailer park, we had the mobile home in the trailer park that everybody was envious of. We had the double wide trailer, right? Mm. Where some people had, we had a double wide with a carport and an additional bonus room on it. So we were, we had the big trailer in the trailer park. Right? Okay. So, so nothing special. I had really no um, special story other than just a small town kid that played all sports that played hockey all winter played mm. baseball and golf and went frogging in the summer and just just lived a a, a really good lifestyle and with a wonderful loving parents right so it was just a, it was just a wonderful simpler time if you will when you were young so yeah and can we jump on the part where you started investing what was the beginning for you and oh, what was yeah. the transformation and the phases in, in your life on the investing side well yeah the real the real to be the to be brutally honest um i had one of those milestone birthdays it was the it was the i, I joke around that i say that i started investing at the turn of the century which 
the year 2000. That's mm. a funny way of saying year 2000. Yeah. And I had one of those birthdays that had a, a zero at the end of it. I was turning 30 mm. and I had a self-proclaimed Peter Pan syndrome. You know, Peter Pan syndrome is that I just never wanted to grow up. <laughs> so what is any young man at that time? What has he learned and what is he, where does a young man turn to, to try to get um, guidance and counsel from? And right around that in the early 2000s, I, I, I turned to Oprah. Right. And on Oprah, I saw this wonderful interview with Robert Kiyosaki and he was talking mm. about rich dad, poor dad. Yeah, of course. And that was kind of the inception moment. If any of your listeners are movie fans, if you've ever watched the movie with inception with Leonardo DiCaprio, mm. there's a moment when uh, an idea gets planted so deep in your, in your thought process <laughs> that it just become obsessed by it. Okay. Yeah. So I got obsessed by that whole thing of, you know, passive income and cash flow and all that kind of stuff. And it mm. led me down a route to uh, um, investigate all these things. Now, let me just preface this. I had never bought a property in my life at that time. I was renting mm. a basement suite with a roommate. Mm. And then I found real estate through a, through a conference. And I saw a fellow by the name of Don Campbell present. Yeah, and okay. I instantly no. fell in love with what he was teaching and the way he taught and his genuineness and his heart and what he was sharing. And I made the leap, dove feet first, head first into the concept of real estate. And geez, that's been, you know, how long, how many years is that now? 20, 24, 22, over 22 20 years, years now. Yeah, 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 22 years and plus, yeah. right? So. So um, I think we were discussing this before the episode, which is um, your approach um, on the investment strategy, single family versus multifamily. So if we can start talk about this in your perspective, what is the pros and cons of the two different strategies? Well, here, here's the thing is, um, I don't think one is right and one is wrong. It's It's a matter of one might fit better for people's lifestyle and fit better for personality types. Correct. Um, most people, here, here's what most people, and I'll, I'll just say one of the things, most people fall in love with the romance of apartment building and multifamily. Mm. And then when they actually start owning it, the romance comes off quite quickly. Okay. Um, you know, for example, you can, some people aren't prepared business-wise to be able to handle the operation of a larger property. Some people haven't built up their, um, their business acumen to be able to transact a larger property. Mm. Um, people sit there and go, well, it's all under one roof. And okay, well, all of a sudden a boiler goes on one of your buildings. Yeah, now you're talking $40,000 plus on that. And some people say, well, it's cheaper to have the one boiler than have single family furnaces and all this kind of stuff. Well, not necessarily every time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, multifamily is not for everybody. Mm. However, I 100% think that multifamily is an amazing asset class. Okay. Um, for me, I just found my lane of single family. And actually the lane I'm in now is, is um, new construction single family, where we actually will design our properties, we'll build them with intention, we'll build them within, you know, the three pillars of real estate that I teach all the time is what you buy, where you buy and who you rent to. Number one thing you do is define your tenant profile of who you rent to, then you match the right house to that person. And then you match the right area that that person wants to live in, and you'll have a good ownership experience. 
um, within single family. If you ever had a cash call and you needed to sell a place, you can sell it. You can peel off a single family property quite quickly, sell it off, you know, get some cash in, you know, you can have uh, one, you know, there's multiple different things. Financing is completely different on single family versus multifamily. Um, You can get higher loan to value ratios. You can get uh, better interest rates in some cases with, you know, without, if you qualify for the, in Canada, the MLI select program through CMHC, there's there's just multiple different ways. And, and, And here's what I tell people is when anybody ever asks me the question, single family versus multifamily, I, I say it's not an or, it's an and. Is there a way you can have it as an and? You should have both, to be honest. But in order to get to multifamily, you have to have earned your stripes, earned your opportunity to get to a multifamily investment opportunity. It's very rare that I hear somebody just go into multifamily on their like one of their first transactions. You know, you, for example, you, with you, you Adam, you you you, you I started it was an evolution with, process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started first was was uh, was uh, single, not single duplexes, which is single family home, uh, in different uh, uh, provinces around, and then uh, apartment buildings, uh, and now we're uh, looking on a complex. Like right now, we got. Uh, a deal under contract uh, 120 units in Atlanta but yeah mm-hmm. as you mentioned at least at least you need five to seven years and this is a minimum this is I think uh, the minimum time you take to understand the evolution of single family the lender side the underwriting is, is not uh, for everyone as you mentioned no it's, and, it and, and a lot of it comes down to is Somebody needs to be, in my opinion, to do multifamilies, you have to almost be in the business of real estate. Yeah. It's it's hard to do to be a multifamily operator if you're pulling down a full-time job and you have a full-time career and all that yeah. kind of stuff. It's hard, it's hard. It can't, it's not impossible, but it's more difficult to yeah. do. Um, so you need to earn your stripes, you need to have the acumen, and I think you also need to have the time as well to be able to get into it. So, yeah. Hundred percent. So you mentioned something unique as uh, your your criteria. You're focusing on, I think it's called uh, micro strategies of, of of development, where you you starting from scratch. You're like buying a lot, distressed properties, and tear it down, and then buy a bigger place. Or what is your kind niche on this? Well, there, there's there's multiple different ways of doing that. Like to to be just complete transparency. Um, I have a business partner and a relationship with one person in my target market Hmm. that has access to all the developers, not he has access to many developers, many home builders, and he has access privy to prime pieces of real estate, prime lot positions with Hmm. a lot of these builders. Um, I have that relationship with that one person. And when I have conversations with wonderful people, had one with this morning with somebody who has some capital that wants to invest, Hmm. invest alongside myself, maybe doing a joint venture or or getting part of doing part of that. I then phone up my business partner and say, I have somebody who's interested in investing alongside me, go find me the best lot to build us a brand new, depending on the budget, let's, let's call it a, let's do one, let's just take a side-by-side duplex with suites, Hmm. a fourplex. Hmm. Okay. And we have, he has lot positions that he can go find, good corner lots, lots of parking, lots of those kind of things. Then he'll go and we'll price them out. We'll get the builder and we, we literally will build it from scratch. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been doing this, uh, like this uh, micro strategies? 
Yeah. Well, I, I pivoted my strategy. I, I first started buying, you know, townhomes and condos and a whole bunch of stuff like that. Mm. My first probably hundred plus properties was that way. Mm. And, um, I, I pivoted over to new construction, probably what year is it? 20. So probably about six, seven years ago now. Yeah, and okay. I'm in a process right now of I'm trying to divest of all my old properties, all my older townhomes and condos. I'm, you know, once the conditions are proper, hmm. I will divest of all those older stuff and then reposition that into new, new properties. Because um, once you've owned something maybe new versus one, something that's older and deferred maintenance, hmm. it's a completely different ballgame. There's a different tenant profile. There's a different uh, conversation you have uh, with maintenance. There's a, the properties under warranty. You can actually build the property, design it to uh, get rid of all the all the um, problems that you have with with yeah. with real estate. You can actually design out uh, the solution if uh, with with any of the prop with properties that you buy. So so I've made that pivot probably about seven years ago and. You know, on, on average, I'll add a half a dozen to 10 properties per year and just kind of chunk out my own portfolio like that. And and more importantly, what I really love to do more than buy real estate is I, I like to help others is really what I'm yeah. doing is with yeah. my podcast, my YouTube, my coaching, my group, my mastermind is I, I'm, I'm in the business of solving real estate investors problems. I'm in mm -hmm. the business of pouring my information and knowledge into other people. That's really the, what my main business is. Uh, of course, but I think one of the reasoning, because you mentioned six, seven years, I think this is because of the transition of it meant to market when everything was going down in 2014 and the like return, uh, return on investment was not making sense and the rent was going down. I think this is a the reasoning for your new approach of development because it was making more sense to work on 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 this side of the as a as a developer because i think there's a reasoning for this no well 100% the reasoning is it's a better product to own that attracts a better tenant no, that's 100% okay. the reason is i have a better ownership experience with a new property that attracts a better tenant profile and the better the tenant profile i attract with my house the better i sleep at night that's 100%. 100%. Now, if you had, let's say in the marketplace was flat or even downward Eastern Canada at the moment. Yeah. And, you know, and let's pretend that there was a uh, oversupply of rentals out in Ontario yeah. and a tenant had their choice and they saw an older 1960s property or a brand new 2021 property and all things being equal, which one do you think they would probably take? Is that you one? They would take the new one. People yeah. like the new properties. People like not having to live when somebody else has <coughs> lived in it before, right? Yeah. So it's just it just attracted a better customer, and that's one of the biggest things that I've I've learned over the years. Is you know twenty plus years in the business, I still learn lots of things. It matters more about the customer, and it matters more about the tenants, and it, than it matters about the pro forma. Right. A lot of people sit there and they just look at price points and they look at cash flows and they look at all these kind of things. And I ask a simple question is what kind of a property, what kind of a tenant will be attracted to that property? Do you know what the tenant profile is? And they go, tenant profile? Oh, just somebody who will be pay me, pay me a thousand dollars. 
No, that's not the right answer. The right answer is, do you know your tenant? And is that tenant someone you want to do business with? Because they're a customer, right? You're in the customer service business of providing a rental house to somebody that's going to pay you a fee for that ownership. It's essentially a business in a box. And most people do not take the time to define their tenant profile. And then they try to match a bad property or the wrong property with the wrong tenant profile in the wrong area. And they just, and then they have a bad experience. And then three, five years later, they say, well, real estate sucks, right? I can't stand being a landlord. I think the answer to this is you're defining your criteria to a lend uh, a tenants, which is for some people as our investors is risky during the downwards because you yeah, like for example uh, in 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 Edmonton if something happened and your tenant is paying one thousand dollar and he lost his job he just can rely on on support from the government so he can pay his rent and live. But if you're going to the next tier of the better tenants or a tenants, it's going to be risky during the downwards. But eventually, as you mentioned, if everything is going smoothly, yeah, you're going to get a better experience, better product, and better, of course, customer, which is your tenant. So it's yeah, a, well, it's a give, or, give and take. No, I, I actually, I believe that high-performing people that perform well and earn a lot of money. And this is, sorry, this might be really controversial, but I believe high performing people that earn high incomes have more resilience and more fortitude to figure out if they did lose their job, that they will probably keep, keep finding yeah. another way of, of generating income. Right. Another thing, um, yeah. If it comes down to having to leave in their family, uh, I've, I've dealt with different tiers of tenants. And I've had a lot of tenants that just absolutely just up and left and had nothing at stake with things. Oh, 100%, 100%. Again, as I told you, it's a perspective. I, I think one of the things that I'm gonna focus on now is what is the actual uh, impact on of the inflation and the interest rate on your market now? Well, the good news is it's actually good for business, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, right? let's, let's hustle. Well, it's, it's good. No, it's good for business from a standpoint of in, in Alberta, we, we don't have rent controls. Yeah. And um, so houses just got more expensive to own. Hmm. And um, I've just now across the board, I'm raising my rents on all my properties, minimum 8% plus across the board. Hmm. Um, we don't have rent control. We, we have that opportunity. People in Alberta have the highest incomes in the country so they can afford to pay more rent. And in my personal opinion, um, Alberta is significantly under-rented, the price compared to other markets in the country. 100%. Like in Ontario, if you, and I just have these conversations all the time, if somebody in Ontario had a, uh, it's, you know, let's call them a duplex. I call them sometimes houses with suites, in it, essentially. So let's call it a duplex, an up and a down. Yeah. And in Ontario, you're probably getting, in some cases, you can get up to $4,000 rent for those yeah, places. Yeah, yeah. Right. Quite, quite realistically. Depends on the location on GTA. Yeah. Yeah. Let's call it Hamilton. Let's just call it in Hamilton. Right. I have one in You're, Hamilton. Yeah. You potentially so can get up to 4,000 for that. Um, 3,600, 3,700. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the places that I have in and around Edmonton are brand new, brand new construction, three bed, two bath, like higher end finishes. Um, the most we'll get for something like that, an up and a down, is probably around that thirty-two to thirty-three hundred dollar mark right now. Okay. But 
that's why I'm saying here's an opportunity is yeah. as the rental supply dwindles, the prices are now going up. So each one of those properties are the rents is now going up and we can raise them. To eventually they will get into that thirty-six to four thousand dollar range, in my personal opinion. Yeah. So yeah. I buy it at a lower price today, and over time I raise my rents. What does that do to cash flow? Cash on cash is gonna go up uh, like cash crazy. flow goes up. Yeah. 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 And if interest rates start going up, I pass, you know, sorry, this maybe I sound like a bad term. And if there's any tenants listening, they might get upset by this. <laughs> if the interest rates and my operating costs go up, I pass those costs along to my tenants. 100%. And with a margin, right? Especially as there's no rent control, so you can control that as an operation, basically. Well, however, it's not. It's all no, not perfect, though. In in a free market economy of supply and demand, you can right. actually have rents that drop. Now, in Ontario, I just had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Michael Dominguez, this morning. Um, I don't think there's ever been a rental decrease in Ontario, right? Yeah. Even though you can't, you can only raise your rents like 1.3%, something ridiculous when inflation's at eight or whatever it is. But he, you guys have probably have never had a rental decrease in yeah. a market that is based upon supply and demand. If you have an oversupply of rentals, an oversupply and a, an under demand, you will actually probably have to lower your rent in order to attract a good tenant. And I, I, as a good, caring capitalist, I, I like that. I like to have a free market economy dictate the business, right? As opposed to having a, a government overreach on many things. Like, I think about this for a second, Adam. Name me one other business that you know of. Maybe there are, but probably we can't name them. That the government will tell you what you can charge for your product. To charge to, charge to the product to the consumer. Hmm. I don't think of anything right now, to be honest. The government dictate the price? Yeah, the government, well, essentially, so you have a rental right now for a thousand bucks. The government is dictating what you can charge them for next year. Are they not? Is he doing this on Ontario? Is he doing? Yeah. Is he doing yeah, the actual a... rent increase? Yeah, but not in not in, in Alberta. On Ontario, yes. No, but but name me another business like that that the government can only okay. tell you that you can only raise your raise your prices by 1.3% next year. Um, no, I don't I don't. It's hard it's hard to come up with, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I like investing in and that's one of the reasons why I'm choosing also if to go down to the south into the states is Texas has a lot of those same rules as Alberta. There's no land transfer taxes, there's no rent controls, mm. you know, it's stuff like that. So it's it's a very similar market. It is. It is. Uh, like right now, I, I was just telling you, Tennessee, the same, um, Georgia, Texas. But the problem with Texas only for me is the appreciation. Appreciation is too much and the price range is a little bit high and the competitive, it's a really competitive market. So, uh, but but it's one of the best market in U.S. anyway, as you mentioned, yeah. it's free market. Well, it all depends. It all depends on your business model as yeah. well. Like one of the business models I'm working with a partner and we're going down into uh, into the furnished, uh, rentals down oh, there. Okay. And yeah. you can, you can then charge more for rent on a furnished rental and you can actually afford to buy a higher price product. That's going to go up in value. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. So like one of the things a straight rental on a higher price product does not work, but if you charge, if you're able to generate more income per the host, then, uh, all day long, I would take a higher priced product. 
right if now, you can get the income, right? 100%. But uh, as I mentioned right now in the US, the uh, main issue, especially on the multifamily, is that uh, the cap rate is really compressed. So it's almost became the same. Like on hot market like Texas, you're going to find that the cap rate almost like Hamilton. So uh, the only advantage will be the rent control. Uh, but cap rate wise and, and, and return on investment, it became really hard as a yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not buying apartment buildings, so cap rate's not going to apply. We're buying. We're building yeah. new construction, construction. properties. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this is coming to the next question, which is basically how you manage to have the long distance model, especially that you live on on British Columbia, you have your business on Alberta, and now also in Texas. How you manage to have a boot on the ground, uh, deal with operations, especially with with developers. Uh, it's, it comes down to focus. It comes down to, I, here's the thing is like, if I was to do it on a scale from zero to a hundred, I'm saying 80% in Alberta, 20% in Texas. Right. Yeah. So I still focus and it's just another market. And when I, the only way I would actually even entertain going to the Texas market is because I have a boots on the ground operator that's mm. going to be doing the majority of the work. And what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be going out attracting capital to bring to our projects. Yeah. That's I'm not doing any of the finding. I'm not doing any of the negotiate. I'm not doing any of that work. I'm, I'm have a, a partner that's doing all that work for me. And then I'm just going to go do what I do. And I'm just going to go do a little song and dance and have some <laughs> wonderful conversations with people. And, yeah. and if somebody is interested in investing into the U S I would point them to a project that we're working on. Right. 100%. And if it works for them, then they can get into it. And then I will own a piece of that. I will not own the majority of it. I won't even right. own 50% of it. I'll own a, a small piece of it. But what I just do is I do what I do best in my swim lane. Okay. So that's that market. When it comes to Alberta, I have an entire team. I'm, I'm the operator there. I have okay. the property management. I have everybody in place. And that's why I actually encourage people to, to only pick one or two markets. Don't pick 27 because you will... Uh, you you will stretch yourself pretty thin and you'll be, you know, you will never be able to be a master of that market. You will never yeah. know it inside out and backwards. Like I, I probably know the Edmonton marketplace as well or better than probably people that live there. And mm -hmm. I don't live there. I've never lived there, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, as you mentioned, you, you need to create your core team, which is property managers, commercial realtors you want to find a constant pipeline of deals yep. you have to understand the numbers so uh, this is basically what you're saying that's stretching yourself thin because you need to understand your your game here yep now yeah. i'm gonna recommend a book for many of your audience and listeners if they have not read the book who not how by dan sullivan hmm. um, i would strongly encourage you to pick that up because it's changed the way i i look at real estate like it's put this way i've always from the beginning outsourced a lot of the the people yeah. once i read who not how it took it to another level it truly is there is an opportunity that you can just do what you do best within mm. your real estate and find others that are brilliant at what they do and just be the leader of the marching band and be the owner of the business as opposed to the doer of the business yes 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 uh, because to be honest this was one one of my reasons of 
multifamily is that it gives you the ability to sub everything, but I never think about it on a single family home because always in my mind, like single family home is going to be a hectic job because I had like a, um, I, I have still right now all of the single family homes in my portfolio and it, it's, it's, it's not a, a tedious process to deal with the tenants right away because there's no, mar- especially on, on Ontario market when you don't have this margin of cash flow. It's not like uh, like uh, like Alberta, but uh, but what you're saying is confirming that you can do it even on a single family home because you did it successfully I, I, for years. I will not buy a property in a marketplace that does not have good competent property management, hmm. and that the margins can't support to hire management. I will not yeah. buy. I just won't buy it. Yeah. Right, no matter how good I think the market is, or how hot it is, or how much speculation people are telling me in, if there's nobody in that marketplace to manage it, and yeah. there's no margin to hire a manager, it's a hard pass for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry if that's a uh, harsh, but that's just the way it is. No, no. As I told you, it's, it's a different game here in Ontario. It's a, it's a game and, and here. Is can I give you? I'm going to give you a quick story on that. There's many years that I've toyed with the whole thing about. Well, I'm going to do my own management. Every every year when I look at my taxes and look at my books and I see you know, eighty, hundred thousand, hundred twenty thousand dollars in property management expense line. Right. Every year I look at that and I go, well, why don't I just hire somebody? I'll just hire this person, hire that person. You know, my wife can probably do this over here and that. And I, I'm sitting there going, mm-hmm. I go, why would I want to take that headache? Like, why would I want to? I would be divorced mm-hmm. if I asked my wife to take <laughs> on some of that property management. Yeah. And let let another company deal with being an expert at what they do best. They're an expert in the Residential Tenancy Act. They're an expert in the advertising. They're an expert mm. in the bookkeeping. They're an expert in in the move-in process, the move-out process. They're an expert on the systems on having the where the call comes in, where it gets logged, the platforms they do. Let the experts do what mm. they do best, right? Yeah, 100%, 100%, 100%. So uh, my next part will be raising capital. How was your initial steps for raising capital and how you managed to have an actual effective system to raise capital? Well, <laughs> so, so most things in life, it's, uh, it was born out of um, desperation and necessity. Okay. Right? Well, the reason why I had to learn how to raise capital is because I had none. And my options were when I first got started in real estate investing, you know, remember back in the day when I told you the story of I was renting a basement suite, I, you know, had a roommate, I got inspired to buy a property. I sat there and I looked at, I looked at my bank account and the largest number I saw was a credit card, right? So I did not have the capital. So I had to, I had to either quit or I had to figure out how to raise the money. And slowly what it did at that time was I got absolutely obsessed with the process of learning how other people were raising the capital. I got obsessed with getting a good coach and getting into a mastermind group of people that were raising capital. I got obsessed when I heard somebody talking about, I have a deal, I'm looking for people to invest in this project. I got obsessed with reaching out to that person to find out how they pitch their deal, how they do that. And over time, over years of honing it, 
I started then taking action myself and then I started developing my own process. I developed my own system. And then once I got some success of doing that, I started to teach others the process. And I would hazard a guess that a lot of people out there right now that are teaching joint ventures and teaching the raising of the capital, especially in the Canadian space, probably learned it for myself over time. And even to this day, every single day, I'm obsessed with becoming better uh, better at the, the whole game, learning new ways to raise capital for my business, learning new ways to teach others, learning new ways to pour back into the community to help others mm-hmm. that are out there right now. And because I believe in, if I give back what I've learned, we're all going to grow and benefit because of it. I, I think the answer here, as you mentioned, knowledge is money. Once you started to get yourself, have an actual action get involved in coaching program, always saying that I'm going to learn, always put yourself uh, on a room when you're a smaller fish, even if you have hundred million of dollars, have goals. This is a, this is a, a goal for everyone to, to grow his business. Yeah, it was, it was the knowledge, but more importantly, it was the actual doing of the work and execution and implementation. Yeah. You, yeah. everybody, let's put it this way. Hundreds of people went to the exact same events that I went to. Okay. Um, Some did, some didn't. Okay. I wanted to be part of the some did crowd. So I just took what I learned. Anytime I had a conversation with somebody who's raising capital. Okay. And I would sit there and I'd have some great conversation. I'd ask them, then I'd say, what, what is some next steps I should do? Like, and I would sit there and I'd write down the notes. Like, what should I do? And they would say, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to find a good deal. You need to become an expert here. You need to be able to get your team in place. You need to do these five things. I say, good. So after I've done these five things, can I contact you back again? They say, absolutely. And then what I would do is I'd go do the five things that they told me to do. Mm. I was coachable and I came back after they were done. I said, I've done those five things. What's next from here? And then from there, and those people like that, that have done this, that have been down the road before that are, are, are amazing mentors. People like that want to see you doing the work. They want to see that whatever they told you that you need to do, that you're coachable, that you are actually go out and you execute against it. And then you have the right to go back to them and have a conversation. Makes sense. Right? Like, it's amazing on how many times I have conversations with people. And I I quickly assess where somebody is in their journey of real estate. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that go out and they're, they're early in their process. Okay? They're not sure what's market, where they want to go to. They're not even sure calculations. And I say, okay, here's what you need to do. Read two books for me. I want you to read Real Estate Investing in Canada by Don R. Campbell. And I want you to read Real Estate Joint Ventures by myself and Don. Okay. Mm -hmm. After you read those two books, you have to come back to me and tell me what actions you've took from those two books. And Mm -hmm. then I'll help you with the next step. Nine times out of 10, they don't come back. Wow. Yeah. Okay. You, but I know somebody students? like you that you would, that you would come back. Right? Okay. <laughs> but, but here's the thing is nine times out of 10, people don't come back. Oh, okay. Right. Which is totally fine. Oh. I, I want to make sure that I want to work with somebody who is an action taker. And I'm only looking for, I, I, I work with people that are the, the 10% or less. Actually, I'm only work with people that some are the best of the best. You know, the one, two, three percenters, the people that will create amazing results. Those are the people I work with. And then what I do from there is I take somebody who is already a high performer and I help even get more out of them. Hmm. Right. Yeah, that's, that's the next level game for people. 
right? Getting a high performer that somebody who's doing amazing things already, how do you get more out of that person already? 100%, 100%. So uh, this is getting back to the how you like uh, doing coaching yourself now. You've been uh, a student now, became a coach on the last 10, 15 years. So uh, how does this help your your um, your networking, your your business, and what is uh, the motivation basically day to day to keep helping the community every day in your uh, real estate market? Well, here's the thing. I actually, um, so remember that story I told you, and I had that milestone birthday in year 2000 yeah. that yeah. ended with a zero. Yeah. Uh, or sorry, the year 2000. So the year 2020 came around, and I had another one of those birthdays. Uh, and another one of those birthdays had a zero at the end. I turned 50 and I sat there and I go, geez, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years. Hmm. Um, I looked at where I was. I go, what's the next 20 years look like for me? Hmm. And I sat down and I wrote a, a big giant mission statement at that hmm. time. And my mission statement at that time was to help inspire and encourage 1 million real estate investors with the tools and resources to be able to buy one more property. Okay. okay. Now, what what does one more property mean? So let, do you have a minute to, to do a little uh, a little uh, exercise with me here, Adam? Sure. Let's let's pick one of your earlier deals. A deal, maybe let's do a single family. Your, your big giant properties. Let's say, do you own a, a a portion? Do you own a hundred percent of one of your single family properties? Yes. Okay. Tell me what you paid for paid for that. Um. Uh, duplex, it was uh, $420,000. $420,000. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, ballpark gross rents. Now or, or back then? Let's go now. Now is uh, in total. Uh, Monthly rent. 30, 3550 3550 And $0.22, cents, right? Okay. So, so here's what one property means. So let's say, for example, you buy, let's say I teach you and I inspire you and I encourage you and I give you tools and resources to help you buy one more property. Okay. And let's say you bought one more property of $420,000 and over time you, you held it for say 15 years and that thing was free and clear. Okay. Free yeah. and clear property over 15 years. And it never went up a dollar in value. How much would that asset be worth to you? How much is that asset to you in say 15 years? You mean there's no appreciation at all? No appreciation at all. You mean return on investment? What would it be? In 15 years, it's free and clear. How much is that asset? It's not a trick question. Um, How much um, is it worth to you? What did you pay for it? Uh, 420, right? Yeah, like, no, I didn't pay for 20. You paid five. Uh, the first one was 5%. Then you pay 20%. So, depend on how many properties. No, I, you have. I just, Adam, you're overthinking it. You bought a place for 420 and it rents for 3550. If it was free and clear in 15 years and it did not appreciate in value $1, so your income is what would it be worth to you? 3500 plus 420. It would be it worth four hundred twenty thousand dollars, right? Yeah. And thirty five, twenty thirty five fifty, 
times, let's say you have a 40% operating expense ratio. So you keep 60% of it. Okay. Yeah. You would have an asset that generates $2,130 to one thirty times 12 equals 25,000 and four. So if you learn a tool and a resource to buy one more property that never appreciated a dollar in value and it was held till it's free and clear, you would have an asset worth $420,000 that would generate you $25,000 a year in income. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, right? I got what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. So one more property to you in round numbers is worth a half a million dollars and 25K. So with four of those places, right? Four places, you would have a $2 million nest egg and $100,000 a year in income. Are uh, you trying to create an actual um, income for him in the future so he can, with his job? Yes, so, so okay. what I'm doing is my mission is to have a million people and inspire them with the tools and resources to buy them one more property. Okay, and then the but... first exercise I do is I get people to value what one more property equals to them. Okay. So for example, in this exercise, one property is $420,000 in asset value and $25,000 in income. And the game will be holding it as long as, as much as you can. And then it's going to be, be paid off and then you can live free. Yeah. The eventual, well, isn't that the, isn't that the financial freedom goal we all have? hundred percent, hundred percent. Right. Mm -hmm. We yeah. want, we want to eventually live the lifestyle that Robert Kiyosaki talked about way back in the day, but there's an awful lot of people right now with a whole bunch of conversation with a young fellow yesterday owns eight properties mm -hmm. and interest rates have gone up. Mm -hmm. He's struggling a little bit. He's probably, if I was to be really honest with his numbers and which he was to be, he's probably upside down four or $5,000 a month. Now, which market okay. is? In Ontario. Oh, okay. Okay. Right. Okay. So, so is that person getting closer to financial freedom or further away? Um, depend. Depend on, on, on his situation. If he's going to sell one of the properties to bring cash flow. Okay. We're not talking strategy yet. Based upon what I just told you, is he getting no, closer uh, or further? At the end? If he wants a goal of $20,000 in monthly income and he's upside down five, is he cash getting closer no. or further? Cash no, he's getting no. further away. Yeah. So he's no. having to go and work harder yeah. to actually feed his asset, which was supposed to be a financial freedom vehicle. 100%. But again, you're comparing between the appreciated market to cash flow market. So as what you if, said- What if you have no appreciation, Adam? That's why appreciated market is not for investors, it's for newbies. That's why we said berries is the best uh, province to invest. That's why Alberta, Saskatchewan is the best to invest on, on, on multifamily or single family home. Uh, rent control is not uh, something you want to be in. That's why Ontario is not one of the best so places to invest. What we're really talking about, Adam, is there's a difference between investing and speculating. Yeah, 100%. Right? And I, I believe in investing versus speculating, right? And the Ontario market. But, but here's the thing is you were, th you were just overthinking a little bit there, as I was just trying to share with you, if a fellow is upside down in cash flow and he yeah. has a goal of getting a certain cash flow number, he's actually having yeah. to work harder and yeah. he's going backwards. 
Yeah, he's not going to create any cash now, flow. Now, the solution is completely different. You were already talking about the solution, which is the solution I told him. I go, let's get rid of the dogs. Let's get rid of the worst performers. Sell yeah. a few off, yeah. pay a few off, divest into another marketplace. You, yeah. you were, see, you're a good coach. You're already going the next step forward. You're, you're, you're doing solutions, right? Uh, this, this is a way to, to yeah. find a way to uh, mitigate the risks. That's why we mentioned me, me, me and you as a, like, I didn't find as a competitive market here in Canada, in some markets making sense. So that's why uh, the diverse, the diverse business between US and Canada was, was a solution for me. But uh, yeah, I, I, I understand what, where you're coming from, that it doesn't make sense for him to pay $5,000 every month to feed his property and then saying yep. that he's doing a business. He's not. No, I 100% agree. So yeah, yeah. we said the exact same thing in two different ways. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my next question will be, what is your, uh, how you describe your strengths or superpower? I like to ask this to every guest. How you define your superpower on the last 22 years on, on the business? Well, here, here's my, my superpower is I don't have one. Uh, my, if I was, to, if you held a gun to my head, said, Russell, you must come up with an answer. Here's my answer. Um, I, I won't quit and I keep showing up. I'm, you know, here's my superhero, uh, Mr. Show up man. I keep showing up That's good. <laughs> no, That's no matter good. what, no matter what happens, no matter how many times you get kicked in the, you know, what's no matter how many times you just keep showing up. And if you keep showing up with a passion, if you keep showing up with an energy, if you keep showing up to serve others and be a, a faithful servant to other people, if you keep showing up with the right intention in life, mm. um, you know, I think this world would have fewer problems if more people showed up and served and helped other people. Uh, persistent, uh, always, I, 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 I like this, to be honest. Uh, this is basically one of the major merits on, on our business is to, yep. to be a doer uh, and take actions and always show up as you mentioned yeah and you're a real estate investor your your portfolio is extremely uh enviable for most people this is difficult adam yeah. it, it would you would you not agree this is you know most people will sit there and they'll just tell you the wonderful success stories and they'll tell you about all the sunshine and rainbows and butterfly farts about how things only go up in value they won't tell you the challenges they won't tell you the lost sleep they won't tell you the giant major cash calls they won't tell you um all the times that they felt like packing it in and quitting on things yeah. that a person that can take all those things and when you don't feel like doing it you still do it anyways that yeah. is a superpower yeah yeah 100% agree. My last question would be how the people can follow your success and uh, how to get in touch with you. Follow my success? Well, I... <laughs> You have a big well, success. Thank Everyone you. Knows the, thank you. Thank you for pre-positioning and, and, and putting it out into the future that there's always going to be a success. Uh, you know, what? I'm, I'm, a, I'm an open book. Um, if anybody ever wanted to reach out and connect with me, the easiest way would be just jump onto my website. If you Google my name, Russell Westcott, my website's russellwestcott.com. My podcast is the Russell Westcott podcast, my YouTube channel, everything around my name. It's all branded around that. And if there's something that somebody um, 
if I said that resonated with your audience and they'd love to have a, say a consultation and they maybe just need a little help of looking at it from another lens, somebody who's been around the business for 20 plus years, there, there's an awful lot of people out there that are what I would call five years, five, seven years or less out in the industry, lots of people that they've only seen one market condition in the last seven years. And that's Correct. straight up astronomical growth. Um, if you're in, yeah, if you're interested in having a conversation of somebody who's seen every market condition, every market cycle across the country, uh, I can definitely provide you some insight and some wisdom. It's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. I believe I have the wisdom to help be all the people to inspire people with the knowledge to take the action. 100% agree. Um, uh, the market has been going up and down, not like what we're seeing now on the 2090s, especially on the on the West. And uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, yeah. I agree with uh, what you're saying. I think uh, we had fun today, I hope. Yeah, Adam, and... do you mind if I offer you something here for a second? 100%. Yeah, I just I, I I I usually start off every one of my interviews with some gratitude, and I did not do that today. Okay. I wanted to I wanted to thank you. I wanted to thank you for a couple of things. I wanted to thank you for the opportunity to share. I wanted to thank you for the time and effort you put together these wonderful resources to share with the community of real estate investors. It's valuable and it's needed. And I actually wanted to thank you for taking some wonderful action that you've done yourself and uh, making a difference in other people's lives. I just wanted to just offer that to you. I appreciate it. Uh, you're the master on this and we're trying to do the same, uh, educate the community yep. and- we're, we're kindred spirits, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> thanks a lot. And again, I hope that we can bring you again to the show to uh, come up with your ideas and your success again. And really appreciate your time. Right on, honored to serve my friend, honored thanks to serve. Thanks a lot.